0: have the utmost pleasure and privilege to welcome, I appreciate I always say that, but this man genuinely requires no introduction. If you don't know him, you might get to know him, especially if you're in New Jersey. If you're not licensed, you're supposed to be licensed, because otherwise he and his team would be after you. Without any further ado then, ladies and gentlemen, today's guest is Director David Rebuck. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for accepting the invitation.
1: Well, it's great to be here, and it's uh, good to know that I'm number 51 on the list of uh, interviewees. So, uh, again, I'm happy to be here, and, and we have a lot to talk about, and i uh, really excited to um, educate people in the room about what we do in New Jersey, how we do it, and why we believe that it's going to be truly beneficial to the rest of the country in the gaming area, and uh, with any luck, maybe it'll be beneficial to foreign countries who also are in this business of uh, gaming. you
0: have always been number one on the list. We just have to make <laughs> our way through your comms team for the record. But I shall digress. Here's my cheat sheet with questions for David, and there will be a time for Q&A throughout, and then most definitely towards the end. So please don't be shy. You've earned a BA degree from the Gettysburg College in 74, a master's degree from the University of Vermont in 78, and then on top of that, a law degree from the Widener University in 86. For 23 years, you have served as a deputy attorney general in the Great Garden State of New Jersey, specializing in policy guidance and regulatory reform. So that is, ladies and gentlemen, the background of course those were the pre-internet gaming and sports betting times for obvious reasons so to start it off would you have ever thought throughout those 23 years that one day and today is the day and not only today it would be a top billing at a responsible gambling event
1: uh, no um, thanks for the honest more. answer it's, uh, uh... When, uh, when by reading that record, you can all appreciate that I am old, and I've uh, been around a long period of time. And uh, when I first was a deputy attorney general, I didn't even know what the division of gaming enforcement was. Uh, it was back in nineteen, the mid '80s, 1988, uh, when I was. Uh, brought on as a Deputy Attorney General in the state of New Jersey to work on Attorney General Kerry Edwards' staff. And as time went on, um, uh, there were issues in the gaming industry that would come to the Attorney General, but in those early years of gaming regulation, uh, the industry was extremely strong. The state had monopoly, obviously, on gaming uh, with Nevada and it was a uh, go-go time for the uh, city of Atlantic City and the operators in general. Um, if you fast forward, the first time I really got involved with gaming was under uh, Attorney General Debbie Poritz. Uh, for those who didn't know Debbie, she um, was not only Attorney General, but she Counsel to Governor Whitman and ultimately became uh, Supreme Court Justice for the state of New Jersey and uh, she was uh, a brilliant woman and a wonderful attorney general. And the reason I got first involved with uh, gaming under her was because we were now entering in that period of time in uh, late 90s, 2000, where the industry was feeling the angst of overregulation, uh, burdensome regulations, and felt that after 20 plus years of operating that things should be changing. Um, So there was a meeting of the Casino Control Commission staff and the DGE staff and the industry in Atlantic City. And when the Attorney General looked around the room, she said, well, we need somebody to go to Atlantic City and represent me in this meeting. Nobody raised their hand. And uh, since I was the low man on the totem pole, I got to go to Atlantic City. So having done some research in preparation for the meeting, I went down and it was a disaster. Uh, the, uh, the industry hated the regulators, the regulators hated each other. Uh, the debates were uh, overwhelmingly oppressive. Nothing was accomplished and I remember going back to the attorney general and said, I said, these people are crazy. Uh, they can't get along on anything. And um, at the end of the day, it's going to have to take legislation to move this change along because nobody wants to cooperate or communicate with each other to do things any differently than they're already be done. And uh, I saw something from Debbie then thereafter where one of the primary leaders of the uh, Senate at that time put in a bill, made really extensive changes that she would not accept. And in that meeting with that senator, she made it very clear to him in a very forceful way that um, if you're going to push for all these changes, uh, I'm going to oppose it. And I'm going to use one word to oppose it, integrity. And if I'm, telling the country, if I'm telling the state population, we can't assure integrity of this industry, you're going to have to live with that. Well, the changes were made to what the attorney general wanted. And that was the first round of changes that would have. So fast forward, uh, that was my first experience of gaming. And the valuable lessons from another attorney general I recognized when I then was ultimately appointed by Governor Christie in 2010.
0: Indeed. So we're going to fast forward to February 2010, when you were assigned to Governor Christie's office as a senior policy advisor. And you effectively led the state of New Jersey on its path to legalizing. Well, Internet gaming first and then sports betting and arguably it was done at a world record pace because it took you and your staff only nine months, for the record nine months. Other regulators may want to draw some inspiration if they will to implement that law. So my first question in that regard, if I may, now the grand old party governors, such as Governor Christie, they're not necessarily that well known for the love of internet gaming. So would you mind walking us through the New Jersey regulatory dynamics from that particular perspective?
1: (laughs) Well, um, if you don't know, the Attorney General appointment to head gaming is made by the governor of the state. And then Governor Christie appointed me. And I've served under another governor, Phil Murphy. And I would say this about both governors and what you have to understand. These governors have different personalities. But one thing they have in common, they are tremendous leaders, they're open-minded to suggestions, and they always want to do what's best to the state of New Jersey, the people who live in the state of Jersey, to improve the quality of life of the people in the state of New Jersey. And they listen. They listen, they ask heavy-duty questions, and ultimately they'll make a decision. And as a middle manager that I am, or others, you have to implement that. And it's a wonderful thing when you have leaders like that who not only expect you to implement and deliver on the promises they've made, but they give you a commitment to support you in everything you do in order to make that happen. So from that perspective, the state of New Jersey has been well covered by two excellent governors over the last almost 12 years. But that being said, the question about why Why was New Jersey so ready to embrace the risk of internet gaming uh, and take on the federal government and sports wagering? And I think you have to go back in time, but the state of New Jersey, again, if you remember I said that initially casino gambling in the state of New Jersey was a boom and was so successful, but there was no competition. And with the success of casino gambling in the United States, and Nevada and as well as New Jersey, other states started copying it. And all of a sudden you had this massive explosion of casino gambling, legalized gambling in the United States. That being said, now you have a lot of competition, a lot of saturation, a lot of choices for consumers. And the industry was struggling in New Jersey to compete and there were three things that were causing our problems. One, remember I said Debbie ports dealt with the one issue. We never solved over-regulation. We never solved it at that point in time. There were small changes being made. The industry had a very strong argument that it was being restricted in innovation and expansion and doing things they needed to do in order to compete against neighboring states. Those changes had to be made. That regulatory form is a commitment from Go- Governor uh, Christie and... Uh, that was a mandate in the legislation that was passed under his uh, leadership. Second, there was ex- enough, a great understanding that you have to be different. You need to diversify your offerings. There was all these debate. It's the entertainment industry. You have gambling, you have entertainment, you have restaurants, you have other things going on. But gambling itself is still the primary driver in New Jersey. and. Um, the diversity of gambling would come about through new product, new product being online, controlled by the uh, casino industry, having the license to do it, having a monopoly on that, as well as sports wagering. And then the last thing is there had to be a commitment from the industry to invest in their property, invest in their employees, and to live up to their benefit of the bargain with the state while the state went to the things that they had to do. And so that was always the approach that was taken. And yes, there was a great risk that was taken because if anything, know about the public policy, and you heard that today earlier. There's a real fear of internet gaming by people who just don't know how it's to be regulated. There's a fear of change. There's a fear of failure. There's a fear of fraud. And there's a fear of uh, vulnerable populations or underage people not being able to handle that type of opportunity if it's mo- offered on a commercial basis. Today, still, there's a lot of people who don't want internet gaming and don't want an internet sports wagering. We have seven states right now that have internet um, casino gambling. I think I would call more, but I'll, we'll talk about that later because it's hidden by state lotteries doing it already, but there's, suddenly, there's seven states that have internet casino gaming there's probably about 20 states or 21 states now that have internet sports wagering. So it's still very much in its infancy stages. And the challenges that I have highlighted about those who are uneducated, those who don't want to take a risk, which has nothing to do about the education, they don't want to do the research, don't want to put the hard work in to regulate it and oversee it and monitor it in a very, very extensive way, um, are not gonna wanna take the risk. And New Jersey had to take the risk because if you go back to what I said, the risk was that our sustainable gaming industry in Atlantic City was gonna collapse. And if it collapsed, the economic development, the jobs, the opportunities that were supporting South Jersey would be very detrimental. And it happened a little bit as this growth went on with the internet and sports because we closed four casinos. We closed four of the 11 casinos there. And I will assure you, having been the leader overseeing that, that that is a very depressing day. And um, thousands of people are out of jobs and have no idea what they're going to do with the rest of their life. So. Uh, Gaming, with the expansion and the changes were made, were done to prevent that from expanding beyond what it did, and today I feel very strongly that we're in a very good position in South Jersey and in the state for the gambling industry living up to its bargain of what it has to do for economic development, staying jobs, and being an entertainment industry.
0: Yes, indeed, and we will come on to talking about the market at large and the discrepancy between seven states with online casino and 21, if not a few more, with sports betting. But in the meantime, let's talk about passpar. (laughs) because besides everything you've done, we've already talked about, you also happen to have been at the heart of one of the, if not the biggest battle the industry has fought in this country, i.e. to repeal PASPAR that prevented legalization of sports betting from the nation. It would have appeared that, once again, at the beginning of the process, uh, sports betting proponents, most of them Jersey Boys, really, would have stood next to no chance to accomplish that by no means mean feat. And yet, together, we have a bunch of those legendary Jersey Boys by now, BP-3 may have left the room. It is BP-3. Hello. You have triumphed, so what did it feel like on the fateful day of the 14th of May 2018? Would you mind walking us through your feelings? Because it was all happening and then you set yourself a very, very tight timeline to get it all done in your state.
1: Well again, there could be a whole book written on what happened in that seven-year period of time with So many Jersey Boys, as you said, being an integral part in working together with the common goal of overturning pass, but an extremely powerful group of leagues, teams. We were fighting billionaires and the federal government and the NCAA, which is mom and apple pie, to overturn. PASPA, which again was, as you all know, was uh, the primary sponsor of that bill was uh, Senator Bill Bradley from the state of New Jersey. It was really an exciting time. But when you add in, you know, when I say teamwork, you have two governors, again, who were the driving force to make this happen. And you had people like Dennis Drazen and and Senator Lesniak and Senator Steve Sweeney and uh, a host of others who agreed cooperatively to work together f- to overturn a statute that many in the industry felt we were not going to overturn. And I can remember one of the larger casinos had their constitutional law expert said, you're going to lose. And so we're not going to invest any time, money or energy to prepare for uh, prepare for sports wagering in New Jersey. I said, okay, but remember this, Unlike internet gaming, where we gave everybody an equal plan and said, in nine months, on this day, you will all have the ability to go live immediately if your product is approved. When it came to sports wagering, when we win that case, we're going live as fast as we can, because I made a commitment to a lot of people saying, we will have the regulations done. If you have the law done, we will have the regulations done we'll have them immediately adopted as an emergency regulations, and you'll be able to take a wager within days of us winning the Supreme Court case. That casino didn't get up and operating for a while. (laughs) And uh, they weren't the only one who wasn't ready. And uh, I look back at that thinking, we fought this fight for so long to win this case, which will have tremendous opportunities for other states beyond New Jersey that you're not ready. You're not ready to take this new business opportunity and expand what you have offered throughout the country. And the lesson we learned was there were others ready. And those others ready were coming from overseas and they came fast. Every B2B, every B2C company was coming in for sports wagering and they had to get licensed. We had to turn them around. But again, remember who was holding the license? Three racetracks, nine casinos. And Monmouth Park with Dennis Drazen, boom, first one to go. They're ready, bang, out the door. One of the other casinos quickly adopted, probably a room that size with that door and said, that's our sports book right now. We're gonna start taking bets. We approved it, but it it wasn't exactly a great customer-friendly personalized experience on sports wagering. No one was ready to take Internet on the sports. No one. Except two companies came in really fast at the end. And on August 1st, we took Internet sports wagering for two companies, FanDuel and DraftKings. Now everybody goes, oh, well, they're already doing it. Yeah, they had fantasy sports play already. They had a database already established. FanDuel was virtually bankrupt. and uh, FanDuel was bought out as a B2C retail company by Paddy Power Bedfair, so the brains behind FanDuel, companies from Europe who are coming in and supported it with the infrastructure platform. And uh, to this day, um, those two have got to jump on everybody else because of the technology background they have and their leadership in this area, and they've done really well for themselves. Now. They've done well in expanding across the United States. The question is, can they do well in making money and having the opportunity to sustain themselves in the long run? And everybody knows what their investments are and where their expenses are going right now and what their opportunities are. So, um, that's how we worked it and, uh, you know, we started out slow. My goal was to pass Vegas. I mean, all the Nevada companies, I wanted to pass them so bad. I wanted to have New Jersey, number one. And it didn't happen that way. We had this gradual buildup, bang, 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 bang. And we we're still behind Nevada. And I remember John Brennan, great writer in New Jersey. He said, when are you gonna pass them, Dave? And I said, I don't know, but as soon as we pass them, write an article and say we passed them, and then we're done. Because if I slip behind them again, I don't care. <laughs> so we finally passed them. It took us a while. Our growth was very gradual. Uh, unlike today, when new states come in, they can hit the ground running and they can, like you see in New York, New York just blew the doors off everybody in the first month of operations. And uh, they didn't have to have that gradual buildup. But that's the nature of where we are today in the country. There's so many companies that are approved and licensed and operational. And there's no integrity issue with these companies. Um, Operationally, they're stretched in. Their technology is not as robust as you'd want it to be. We fight them constantly to embrace more technology. Um, But they'll get there. It's just that it's a growth industry, and you have to remember it's only been out there for four years legally, and we've had people who started as customer service agents for sports wagering company, and they're now as supervisors four years later, and pretty soon they're gonna be vice presidents, and you're looking at them going, hey, oh my God, they're really shorthanded with finding quality people. We didn't have the buildup, and you weren't bringing in people from Europe, to run the companies, and they had to train the people here in the United States. So it's uh, been a real challenge, but it's been good.
0: Well, there's no doubt that you and your team have been the true trailblazers, and you if not did, then most definitely one of the world's leading regulators, and as far as I'm concerned, the leading one in the US. So what would be your take? And you've already touched upon it, talking about hatred, I believe. What is your take on the current state of play of gambling and sports betting regulation in the U.S. and around the world and what kind of relationship do you have with your peers, the likes of the UK, perhaps Ontario and most definitely across this country?
1: Well, I never speak poorly of another regulator. I've said that before. I've stolen that line from one of our presidents. always speak positively of other regulators, but we're a very diverse group. Uh, if you know anything about the United States, every state has its own um, goals and objectives, um, tweaks on what we do, and it's it's very difficult to have commonality in our operations. But that being said, um, there's certain areas that uh, we have a uniform commitment to do better things with. And um, I, I think every regulator i've dealt with in the united states has that sense of wanting to do what's right for their state and wanting to be successful in overseeing the industry and not allowing for a scandal or some kind of complete breakdown in how we operate When we do get together, and we've been very fortunate, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, has a great program for hosting regulators, and we get to share. And we do get to share, we have have really good correspondence between one another. When I look at things in New Jersey, though, we have to act now. Um, And that's always been my message to my staff. I have a great staff. But they know we have to act now. We're holding ourselves up to be the pinnacle of regulation in this country for retail, sports, and online. And if you put yourself on the pinnacle, you better do everything in your possibility to stay there. And so a lot of what we've done recently has been taking what we learned from developing internet gaming in 2013, it's almost 10 years now that it's been operational and learning lessons from what we've done, but listening to others in the industry, in the media, and who are outsiders who give us suggestions and recommendations on how to be better in many areas. And I'm talking about people I've worked with like Chris Grove, Steve Ruddick, James Kilsby. They're on the media side or industry side. And they're not operators, but they have opinions and suggestions. And we listen to them and we research them and then we go even further. And you got guys like Bill Pascrell, he's always in our ear as a lobbyist, right? But he has some good ideas every now and then, okay? (laughs) And so when we, then we have to sit down and implement them. And the best example I can give you to what is important in New Jersey right now, KYC standards, we changed that last October. We tightened that up so much that the industry just wasn't following our directions. And they came up with terms like fuzzy math and all this kind of BS. And we're like, no, KYC is an exact match. And we already went to FinCEN and got the ability for FinCEN to let you use the four last digits of social security number so that when FinCEN audits you and you only collect that, You're good, but you have to have that backed up with the full nine. So enough of this fuzzy math stuff. It's an exact match, and if there's not an exact match, the person's not going to be able to get online, and you're going to have to deal with them through other mechanisms to determine what their true identity is. And if so be it, they're not on. They don't have a right to gamble online. Second thing, cybersecurity. Cybersecurity. I was so tired of dealing with integrity fraud. credential stuffing, DDoS attacks, said enough. Uh, We worked with all the state police cybersecurity, the cybersecurity experts in the state of New Jersey, and we said okay, what can we do to reduce the risk of these uh, frauds or attempted frauds against the operators in the gambling industry? I came up with a lot of suggestions, implemented. Two-factor authentication, device tracking so that we and everybody in this room knows, there's really no privacy when you're gambling online. We know everything about you, everything. And we have to protect their identity and protect the consumer and do the best we can so that they're not a victim of a crime. The third thing, we've Bill talked about a little, Martin I'm sure knows about it, our new Responsible Gaming Initiative. I'm really excited about this. Uh, I'll probably go into detail on it now. Essentially, it had an aha moment last year. Everybody in this room knows, and the commercial side of the house, the casinos and the gambling industry tracks your best players. Everything they're doing. they The marketing people know everything they're doing. They have data on them. They know everything. They have the cards and the slot machines. They have the VIT players. Every data element. In the bricks and mortar industry, on in the casino industry, guess what? They got it on everybody. Everybody. And the aha moment was hearing from some companies in Europe who said, you know, we want to do more in responsible gambling than we've done before. And what we want to do is use the data on everybody, build algorithms, monitor their behavior, and intervene through all steps of the process. You can start at a stage one, an educational, a counseling, you can have a you just build up based on the behaviors. So we went to the industry, met with them for over month, six months. Said it's coming. You, platforms, all of you, can have a responsible gaming New Jersey system. And that is, you're tracking everybody's play. We want to know your algorithms? We want to know when you're going to intervene, how you're going to intervene, and how you're going to watch for risky behavior. They do it now. They do it now. But who does it now? The marketing staff. Eh, I don't really trust them. I never have trusted them a lot. Okay. Two, the consumer, the consumer agent, the person who's creating your account, helping you get through. It's not automated. They see some behavior and they go, "Oh, I think this person has a problem. This person might have a mental health problem. Oh, this piece person might be addicted. What am I going to do about it? Oh, I got this call coming in because guy can't log into his uh, uh, his internet account. I got to take that. No. You're going to have responsible gaming people who are on your staff, who are going to be part of watching what goes on in your platform. You can outsource it to a nonprofit; I really don't care, but you're going to have dedicated, responsible gaming people whose job is to watch and educate, train, and if needed, intervene and cut them off. Take them out. We'll exclude them, They may self exclude themselves that is something the industry has never done before to this extreme and we set a deadline of implementing it in six months I haven't missed a deadline yet but this one I'm a little concerned I might miss because it is very novel now I will tell you this I have no doubt that certain platforms will deliver in that time frame None, but will they all? Because we have over 30 platforms. And if BD, if they can't, what am I going to do as a regulator? I don't know. Don't ask me. I really don't, don't know yet. My goal is to work with them and have this done. And if need be, we will call meetings upon meetings upon meetings to have them come in and to prove to us that their safeguards and protection systems are working the way that we want to by embracing technology as an early warning system and having resources applied to deal in a personalized way with the customer. And I think that's the key, personalized way. Uh, I get upset at the industry occasionally because they say, your marketing staff is always trying to have products that they believe the consumer will like and utilize, or programs the consumer will like and utilize. I'm like, you need to understand what the consumer wants and what the consumer enjoys and how the consumer believes that they're being protected and you are working in their best interest. So the better companies be that. And uh, that's why I have a running joke with my staff. And they know that I get very upset at times with marketing people. And part of that is that my fourth initiative, which is we're reviewing now, just starting we've told the industry this, is that we want a better sense of what's going on with advertising, content, volume, targeting, and we also want a better sense of the promotions to make sure that they're not deceptive. Um, many in the room know that when we first did internet gaming, every promotion that was issued by anybody in online gaming was reviewed and approved by us, hundreds. We'd have thousands come in and my staff hated me, hated me. Why are we doing this? We shouldn't do this. They know how to do this now. And after beating me to down on to the ground after two years, I finally caved and said, We won't look at all of them, but we're going to do an audit. And uh, if I see any that I don't like on TV, or you see any you don't like on the internet, we're going to investigate them. I'm not so sure that was a good decision by me. Uh, I still get people telling me sometimes what they get are deceptive and and misleading. And so we've been dealing with them on a piecemeal basis. But I recognize that the state, we need to do a better job. And when you look at, you look at what other state—not states—what other jurisdictions are starting to do. I give compliments to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, even though they don't even have an internet gaming sports wagering. They have a really good uh, review system and some really great white papers on this area. Um, the province of Ontario, um, kudos to them. They've done a really nice job in tackling this last issue. And I think there's lessons to be learned from what they have begun to promulgate. And then the last thing, I give credit to the industry. The American Gaming Association, um, under leadership of uh, Bill Miller and Jeff Friedman, they have done an outstanding job, in my mind, of taking the social issues and the concerns that are important to regulators and made them priorities and trying to get the industry to uniformly agree on certain goals and objectives. And that is, uh, in my mind as a regulator, a great uh, lobbying effort by essentially the largest uh, gaming regulator in the nation and uh, a real ally uh, as a regulator. And, um, um, and I've appreciated that because um, that didn't exist.
0: I'd be remissing my duties to the sports fans amongst you, so before I give David 60 seconds to wrap it all up, of course, in the great city of New York today, but we've been mainly, for obvious reasons, talking about the great state of New Jersey, and there happen to be sports teams that call themselves New York something, but they actually happen to reside in New Jersey. So the question I've got for you, David, is, whether you believe that the Giants and the Jets will ever go back to their winning days and ways.
1: Well, of course. Uh, uh, My son-in-law is an avid Jets fan. You can imagine how much I have to sit and counsel him after every Sunday game. Um, I am not a Giants or Jets fan. Uh, I'll go on a limb. I'm an Eagles fan. And I would note that, Martin, as a uh, Patriots fan, that you are in enemy territory also. Uh, and I uh, believe that the Eagles beat the Patriots last year, I think. And I know they beat them in that Super Bowl time, but that was a wonderful thing. But no, MetLife uh, Stadium, beautiful stadium, um, uh, great, great setup for uh, a lot of activities there beyond the sporting events. And soon to be the World Cup, Governor Governor Murphy announced that we have the World Cup coming to us in three or four years, I believe. So um, it's a great facility, and, uh, and uh, as much as we fought them in PASPA, I think everybody in the room recognizes now that the National Football League, Major League Baseball, the NBA, National Hockey League, have all benefited extremely well from sports wagering and have embraced it to agree that is even surprising to me today. And uh, we just learned what? Arizona is having their baseball stadium, has a sports book in it now. I think I read yesterday that uh, the Cincinnati Reds, they're having a sports book in their stadium, uh, I guess when they open up sports wagering next year. So look where we've come in four years. It's right in your backyard
0: well as you can imagine i'm still traumatized as a result of those three games two super bowls against the giants i shall be asking amani Tuma about it later good on you bill yes pump your fist you haven't won anything for years and years and then of course the eagles game now to shine even more david 60 seconds doesn't need to be 60 seconds for you to convey your key messages to the audience, what is it you would like to tell this crowd today, and ultimately the, this episode of the of, my, of the Safe Bad will of course be available for all the usual channels, so it's all yours to wrap it up.
1: Come to New Jersey, we'll get you through the system, and if we approve you in New Jersey, we'll have no problem finding a location anywhere in the United States. And uh, I would say this too, that the days of being adversaries, mean. Um, I don't see us as adversaries anymore. You all know that as a regulator, we have total control over your license. We have total control over your lifestyle. We have total control over your um, ability to be successful. Uh, That's a heavy-handed approach. I don't choose to be heavy-handed because I recognize that in most of the problems that we see in the industry are not intentional to circumvent what we require but are based on human error, uh, negligence, and many times a lack of internal controls and safeguards to protect the industry and our message has always been when we come after you for making mistakes is to take corrective action. I want to see systematic changes incorporated by your compliance department or by your internal controls department or your audit department. And if you have those systems in place, the risks that you're going to encounter in dealing with violations on the regulatory side are going to be de minimis. And um, if we ever have to have a battle, um, fine. We'll have a battle. But um, I believe that there's a lot more room before you reach that stunt in compromise and our differences of opinions and our communication with one another to find the proper way to protect it, your consumers, your employees, and for you to make the investment into our community, we require of you to make your commitment to, s- to follow up on your promises of having economic development in our state.
0: We shall look forward to those battles. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up to the greatest and the goodest amongst us, Director David Reebok and Martin Lechkowitz was my state bachelor. Thank you very much.